Welcome to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're a covenant church located in western Wisconsin, and you can find out more information about us at BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and I want to thank you for listening. Uh, open, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 3. And we're looking at um, 6 and 7. So at Bethel this January, uh, we've been talking about um, the resolutions that God makes to us. Uh, Less about our New Year's resolutions to be better and do better. Uh, but the promises of Scripture of what God does, uh, regardless of whether we're uh, doing good or doing better. And so we talked about, um, the first week we talked about how uh, the, the harvest is coming um, and it's ready for us if we don't uh, give up, that God is bringing the harvest. Um, last week we talked about uh, the promise that God will finish the work that he starts in us. Uh, that he doesn't uh, begin a work without finishing it, and that God is transforming us. Uh, and this week, um, we're, we're talking about the, the last one uh, that uh, we're going to focus on this month, that every um, farmer knows uh, that uh, it is God that makes things grow. And what I mean by that is that um, uh, as a... <clears throat> As a farmer, as a a gardener, as a person, there is nothing you can do to force something to grow. All you can do is your best to uh, create the best environment possible that enables something to grow. But at the end of the day, the seed, whether it's planted uh, well or watered or whatever, uh, the growth is a process totally out of your control. And so Paul uh, uses this as an image in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, and, he, and he says this. This is, again, another one of those um, awesome page-a-day calendar inspirational Bible verses, uh, one that I've held on to um, my time here and have reminded myself of and others uh, have reminded me of uh, as I've served here at Bethel. And it's this, that uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. If you include the verse before, uh, Paul is talking about his ministry here in Corinth. He says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only the God who makes it grow. Um, As I watch, and and if you haven't had a chance to watch this yet, I'm sure you have, um, uh, Patrick's uh, historical feature about Bethel. Uh, as I watched that this, this last fall, um, and I encourage you, it's on our Facebook page, it's phenomenal. Patrick's actually making DVDs of it if you'd like a DVD copy because it tells the history of, of this church. And as you learn the history of this church, it's like many other churches that have been around a long time. What you'll notice is that all throughout this church's history, there have been different uh, people here uh, serving in this community in different ways. There have been different pastors. There have been different uh, church chairs and members. And somehow, through all of those eras and all of those seasons and all of those time, uh, God has been making uh, it it grow. God's been at work in this church. And, it, and I know for me, as I watch that historical feature, 
it just reminded me uh, that there is something so much bigger uh, to gathering in faith and to being the body of Christ than the things that we're encountering today. Uh, because we know that there's a past of people whose shoulders we stand on and a future of faithful people coming down the line. And as I watched that video, I, just, I was just amazed at how many faithful people uh, grew up worshiping in this church. Um, one of the things I love is how much this, even this new, the new sanctuary after the old one built, how many times this has changed based on the people here, how there used to be a, a wall across the back, and, and uh, Tim Peterson told me that back in the day, everybody would sit on the other side of the windows, and, and then the front pews, just like now, would be totally empty, and the poor pastor would have to sit there and shout through the windows, and Tim said, and you know what they would do, Pastor Todd, you know what they would do if they didn't like what was happening, is they would just slowly start to close the windows <laughs> from the back uh, to the front. Um, <laughs> And, it, and I loved it. It reminded me because in every season, in every uh, time in this church's history, there have been uh, challenges and, um, and faithful people uh, trying to follow God faithfully. And it's so beautiful to see those pictures. I encourage, if you haven't watched in a while, just, just watch it. You, we don't know. You don't know how lucky we are to have somebody that can pull all of those things together in such a beautiful way because you'll see that reminder that it is only God who makes it grow because if not... Um, we wouldn't be here because there's no person that is, has held on to this church from the beginning uh, to now besides God. I think it's, it's beautiful. But I wanted to dig into this uh, reminder, this verse a little bit more. And the best way to dig into a nice one-liner like this in Scripture a little bit more is to start to read some of the things around it in the Bible. We can all, we can all do this. Um, but I wanted to start with, with a little bit of background, that if you read uh, 1 Corinthians, you'll, you'll catch this, you'll figure this out, but I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version so we don't have to read the whole thing. Um, you're welcome. Uh, so, so 1 Corinthians, and, and how, uh, if you took confirmation, you know this, maybe, if you remember it, uh, it's what's called an epistle, which is a letter. These are letters that um, a person named Paul, a church planter named Paul, would write to encourage these churches. And so, Whenever you read one of these letters, you know uh, that uh, while the Holy Spirit is inspiring these words that Paul is writing, he's writing them for a reason. He's writing them to a church in a community that has its own set of problems. And um, in the Corinthian church, the, the Christians gathered in the city of Corinth, uh, their problem was they were in the middle of a severe conflict about which team they belonged to. Uh, everybody in the church belonged to a, a different team, uh, and they were trying to figure out who was the most important person to follow. They were fighting about, you know, which, like today, the words we use, that, you know, they're fighting about which denomination they wanted to be, what kind of Christian they wanted to be. Uh, they were fighting about which great leader they wanted to follow, which statement of faith, which uh, political orientation their church belonged in. Uh, and just like any time in the history of the church and in the history of the world, uh, when we have these kinds of conflicts, uh, everybody is convinced that they're right and that everybody else is wrong. Things don't change. Um, <clears throat> and, and they're fighting about who, who really belongs uh, to their church, who's a real Christian in Corinth. Because uh, the truth is, whenever we have uh, conflicts and disagreements about how to move forward, it's often much easier to pick a team, uh, a man or a woman to follow, than it is to deal with the messy uncertainty of the fact that over the history of our church here at Bethel and every community, we don't always agree. 
Uh, we don't always agree. It's much easier to say, you know what? We're team uh, Paul and they're team Apollos, and team Paul is going to kick out team Apollos, and then everything will be fine. But if you've ever been in a conflict like that, you know that the minute you kick out the other team, another team forms in whatever team won the battle, right? Because we're humans. We can't always agree. It's impossible. And so uh, in their church, they're saying, is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Cephas? And, and I'm with them, and you're with them. Today, we might be followers of different people. You know, in the church, we might call ourselves or think of ourselves as followers of Falwell or, or Piper or Wright, uh, if you're religious. Um, if you're political, maybe you're a follower of Tucker or Maddow or Trump or Biden or, or maybe uh, some, something else entirely. You think of yourself as a follower of Musk or Gates or Joe Rogan. But for the Christians in Corinth, uh, their teams had different names. Those are our names. Uh, their team's names were Paul, Apollos, um, Cephas. That's another one. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians, you learn about a guy named, not much, but you learn the name Cephas. Uh, Gaius is another name that comes up. And so while we have the names we recognize, uh, they have the names they would recognize. And each of these words, when Paul mentions Apollos, you can know for sure that the first person that heard that knew exactly which team Paul was talking about when he mentions Apollos or Cephas or Gaius. And just like today, when those uh, names are mentioned of the people that we wish to follow, they bring up fights, and, and they fought about it. Uh, they drew in Corinth battle lines uh, in, in their divided world, and they rejoiced when the people who followed Paul uh, made mistakes and looked stupid, and then the people that followed Paul, they rejoiced when Apollos' followers failed or made mistakes. Um, they were convinced, just like in every conflict like this, that uh, they were in the right spot and everybody else was one of two things. You ever, any conflict, the other team is either, they're either ignorant, they're not smart enough to think correctly like me, or they're bad, they're evil. And just, just like today, when we think of the other team, uh, they're ignorant or evil, and in Paul's day, it's, it's the same thing. Oh, well, I follow Paul. I wish those poor fools that followed Apollos would figure out what the real truth is. And so Paul writes this letter, and, and his name is involved in it, so it's sticky, and he writes this letter right into this mess, this mess of conflict and frustration and factions and divisions. If you read 1 Corinthians, uh, you, see, you see it because uh, everything that he mentions is about some fight some conflict, some what's the right answer to deal with this situation. You'll find later in, in 1 Corinthians, there's a, a party in the church that is so obsessed with their personal rights and getting what they deserve that they're taking other Christians in the church to Roman courts to settle their disputes. So one person feels wronged, and so they turn to Romans. And that might not seem like a big deal to us today, um, but imagine living in a world where you believed that uh, Rome uh, killed your savior and had, had hurt and persecuted your friends, and then you're turning around and trying to get Rome involved in your disputes with people. Uh, you have to be pretty mad. Think about how broken that situation is. Uh, later in, in Corinthians, we learn that the, the church in Corinth, this divided church, they're so excited about their spiritual gifts and their worship that, that nobody cares if it 
if it distracts other people or if it makes it impossible for somebody else to get to know who God is. They want to want to uh, pursue their gift because it's all about me and, and God. There are some people that are so obsessed with their, their personal rights and freedoms that they don't even think about how uh, their actions might harm someone else's faith in the church. And it's a mess. And Paul is writing into this mess and he's, and he's thinking, you can just feel it in the letter, that this battle, this conflict, it's just, it's destroying the church. And, and, you know, Rome can bring, can bring centurions to try and persecute the church, and Rome can't stamp out the fire, but, but if anything's going to destroy this church, Paul says, it's going to be uh, from inside. It's going to be this, this battle, this battle between teams and leaders and, and, and uh, people fighting for prominence. Uh, and if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see it, that, that at least it seems pretty obvious that the, the way this ends without God is with one party in victory and ruling over the rubble of a church. And so this is what Paul um, writes into. Uh, this is what he's, he's writing into. And, our, and so our verse is not uh, just a feel-good comfort, is it? Uh, this is a, uh, a, I like to imagine Paul writing 1 Corinthians, and he's literally trying to, like, stick his hands through the letter and, like, grab people on the shoulders and say, no, stop, get, get, get it under control. You can feel the honest truth. So here's how he starts in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters. Whenever Paul says brothers and sisters, he's, he's like putting his hand on their shoulder, like, listen to me. This is important. He says, brothers and sisters. And what he says here is harsh. He says, I can't, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul, Paul is saying, um, I can't talk to you like someone who follows Jesus because of the way that you're living right now. That's what he says. He says, yeah, I, I can only talk to you as mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, uh, for you were not ready for it. Um, when I came and planted this church, I, I told you the basic things that you needed to hold on to because you weren't ready for more. And then Paul says in the second half of verse 2, and he says, and indeed, you are still not ready. He says, you were babies then, and it was okay to be a baby, but you all are acting like babies now, is what Paul says. He continues on, and it's harsh. In verse 3, he says, you are still worldly, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Uh, because when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings. Paul is saying we live in a conflicted and divided world where people uh, state claims and join parties and start fights. And here you are inside of Christ's church. Christ died for you. You're filled up with the Holy Spirit. And you're doing the same thing. You're making a smaller version of all the brokenness and evil and hurt in the world and you're bringing it into the church. He says, when you do this, when you say, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, are you not acting like everybody else. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Throw in with the human team, destroy the enemy, but Paul wants something bigger for them. Rather, he's trying to bring them back to something bigger, this, this uh, more beautiful vision. He wants to remind them that as important as these conflicts and these disagreements of leaders feel, as important as it feels uh, who they're following, uh, the main person they should be following is Christ. He wants to remind them of what's real. And that it's not leaders or personalities or teams that divide our world, but it's our relationship or connection with Christ. Paul looks straight at the people, and he looks at the people that think of themselves as his teammates, as Team Paul, 
And he says, if you are choosing team Paul, you're not following Christ. He says, I am not worth following. Chapter, uh, verse 5, it continues. What, after all, is Apollos? Who is Apollos and what is Paul? Well, they're only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. Uh, Paul is saying, I'm not special in this process. I'm not worth following. I'm someone who did a job. It's kind of like, I used to be a waiter. It's kind of like you eat an amazing, beautiful meal at a restaurant, and it's just perfectly cooked, and it comes out just right, and it's just like you're just sitting at the table, leaning back, and you're like, uh, this is just so good. I need to speak to the waiter to tell him what a good meal that was. <laughs> That's not the waiter. I mean, thank the waiter, tip the waiter well, uh, but they didn't make the food, did they? The chef did. It's like uh, coming back to that same restaurant a week later and insisting that that, that person be your waiter again because the food was so good. It, it makes no sense. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm just a person. I just carried something good to you. Don't think that I made it, and don't think that Apollos made it, and don't think that Cephas made it. Uh, So Paul uses a different example. He doesn't talk about waiters. He talks about farmers. Uh, He says, I planted the seed, verse 6, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Apollos picked up the meal from the service station, and he handed it to me, and I brought it to your table, but God made it. God has been making it grow. And then he continues just to put a a little finer point on it. Verse 7, he says, So neither the one who puts the seed in the ground, who plants, or the one who waters, is anything, but only God who makes it grow. Uh, Paul's saying you're choosing teams because you like the guy that brought in the harvest, But he didn't make the crops. Uh, The one who plants, the one who waters, in verse 8, have one purpose, and they'll be each rewarded according to their own labor. He says, it matters that I planted seeds. It matters that others watered. Um, And we'll be rewarded according to our labor, but we, because we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. Paul says, the person tilling the field and planting the seed and spreading the manure and watering the crop, and, and even the one who brings in the harvest at the end of the day, they're all the same. They're all workers with a a job. And he says, if you think of someone better, if if you think someone is better than someone else because of where they were in that process, um, you're missing the point. If you're like, oh, yes, like, thank goodness for the harvesters, because without them, uh, we wouldn't have the the crop. They brought in the corn. uh, Praise God for them. But you should ask, whenever you're thanking a harvester, you should ask, who planted those seeds? Who weeded the ground? Who watered the crop? And if you think about it, and if you think about it, the real question is, whenever uh, we receive uh, something, we, we have to think, who, who made it grow? Who powered the whole process? Who made it happen? Paul uses another analogy. This time, he talks about a building. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wild, wise builder, and someone else is building on it. He says, I, I started this church. I laid a, a good foundation. Someone else should build on it. And, but remember, each one should build with care. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul says, I laid a foundation of Christ. We build on top of it. He says, when people build on this foundation using silver or gold or stones or wood or hay or straw, uh, one day their work will be shown for what it is because one day it will be brought to light. 
It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of the work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned out, the builder will suffer a loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the fire. Paul says if you're trying to figure out who's a better builder right now, um, that's not your job. You can trust God to sort that out later. Um, because God is the one that is ultimately doing the work. We just get to participate in it. And so the, so the point is, uh, this is what, what Paul is, is trying, to, trying to make, is they're fighting about who's best, who matters most, who is worth following instead of someone else. The point is that as great as a worker is in the church and in the gospel, as great as Paul was, and when we think about our kind of Hall of Famer pastors or teachers or, or whatever, or leaders, um, you know, as successful last week, um, uh, we had a, a really nice time hearing Daryl's uh, story on the Spiritual Care Committee. And, and Daryl got to know who Christ was in a real way because of Billy Graham. And, and there are a few others in this church that, that fall into that category. And Paul would say, as amazing and as great as Billy Graham and his ministry was, he's a, he's a waiter. He brought the gospel. He's carrying it because God is the one that planted the seed. Uh, and, well, and God is the one that makes it grow. It's God who makes things grow, and we're invited to participate. And so Paul believes, and, and the Holy Spirit um, inspiring Paul's word, words in Corinthians, the Bible teaches that God is at work in Corinth. And it doesn't matter so much um, who they're following as long as they're following uh, Christ. That God is at work in that community, and the Bible teaches that God is at work in this place, in this community, and that he's growing something more beautiful than we can possibly imagine. Uh, Paul reframes um, the mission for them. He reminds them that everything good that comes up, when you look at the historical feature of, of the first Corinth church, everything good that comes up, it's rooted in God's abundant grace poured out. It's not because those first people that came here from uh, Sweden and Norway built a really good church and did an awesome job. Of course they did, but it's because God worked in them. And so here's a few things to, to grab onto. If we believe this is true, if we believe that God powers the work and the ministry of the church, um, here's what we can grab onto. Because if we believe this is true, um, it, it destroys pride or arrogance in ourselves. If we believe that God is the one who's responsible for changing lives, it, it tells us that the very best of us, when we're feeling really puffed up, uh, God's truth reminds us that the best among us, our greatest acts, our, our most important battles won, our greatest contributions are, are equally insignificant <laughs> in the grand scheme of things because God is the real worker. We can't build ourselves up in front of somebody else. We can't Praise God that I got to be the harvester and that sucker only watered and so therefore the harvester is more important. than No, 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 no. The work is God's. He's the one who makes it grow. If it's true, if we believe that God makes things grow, um, it, not only does it, it, it uh, defeat arrogance in ourselves, it actually um, raises the value of everyone else. It reminds us that it's important to have somebody watering and planting and harvesting. If we believe that God makes things grow, it tells us that every worker, every person in this church, every person who uh, follows Jesus, who believes in Christ, 
is equally indispensable because God is working in and through you. Every uh, person who plants a seed, every person who makes a phone call, every person who listens to someone else who's struggling, every person who, who sews a square on a quilt or scrubs a toilet, they matter if that work is inspired by the Holy Spirit because they're doing God's work. Uh, this reminds us, God makes things grow, and he has a seed for all of us to plant, or a seed for all of us to water, or a harvest for all of us to participate in. Every worker is indispensable. And finally, if God makes things grow, if it's true, if we really believe that God is the one at work in this, and, and if you don't believe that, um, there's no point in being involved in a, in a church, um, if you don't believe God can do that, so if, if we do, if we believe God makes things grow, uh, finally, uh, not only does it remind us that we are equally insignificant when we're puffed up with pride, but also equally all of us indispensable when we think maybe we don't have anything to offer. Uh, finally, uh, Paul reminds us, God's word reminds us, that uh, we are equally accountable. Because if we believe that God causes the growth, <laughs> we uh, are inspired to faithful action by the Holy Spirit, it tells us that God actually has something for us to do in the lives of others. It tells us we are accountable to the work God has for us, that we have something to build on top of that foundation that Paul talked about. Because one day, according to Scripture, according to Paul, God will test the quality of our work in his field. The Bible tells us that in Christ we are equally insignificant, in the outcome of our work because we believe that God is the worker. We are equally indispensable in that each one of us is called to do something in the lives of others. And we are equally accountable in that one day our work and its quality will be tested. But at the end of the day, of course, God is responsible for the result the outcome, the yield that comes through. We can do our best to plant. We can do our best to water. We can be our most faithful in the harvest. But as any farmer around here knows, that the yield is not always determined by the planting, the watering, and the harvesting. There's more going on. It's God who makes it grow. And that God is at work in this church and in this community and he's growing something more beautiful than we can possibly imagine. These last um, eight years, I have had the privilege of working alongside you here in this place and in this county. I've had the privilege to see and feel God uh, working in me through you. Uh, when I started here, there were a couple of people that every Sunday before church, um, and I thought it was, um, I was intimidated by this at first. I thought it was, I didn't know what to do with this, but I'm so glad they did. They would drag me into my office right before the service, and they'd put hands on me, and they'd pray for me. I've seen God working through you. I've felt God blessing me and my family through you. I've witnessed God blessing this community through your planting and your watering. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the greatest things, one of the, the most fun things about being a, a minister, and I, and I think I always say one of because I say this about a lot of things, but I think this might be my favorite thing about being a pastor, is you get a front row seat uh, to see God working in the lives of people. 
Because people will tell you stories that they might not tell someone else. And, and I'll tell you, as a pastor, I have seen this play out. Even just this last week, I've seen uh, this at work. I witnessed our council on Tuesday night meeting together and praying together and planning for a future planting, watering, and harvesting here at this church. Uh, I heard of from multiple people, and, and this I'll tell you, those of you that are on the Bethel Connect phone call team, um, don't quit. Because every time I visit somebody, every time I talk to somebody that's on your list, and if you know anybody that could use a call every week, get in touch with Sherry and she'll put, you, put them on the list. But don't, don't quit, because every time I meet with someone that's on your phone list, um, they, they tell me, how significant it was uh, that someone calls them every week, that someone uh, shows up to visit them, that someone blesses them. And I saw it just this week, multiple people were like, you'll never guess who called me on Monday, and we talked for an hour, and it made my week. Uh, uh, later this week, I, I witnessed, I got a front row seat, I witnessed a couple people from our church uh, running a new electrical line to our well, the financial value of that is untold. <laughs> I heard later uh, of the ministry of a couple people um, who, are, who are doing visits for people. Um, this week I was prayed for by people and I saw others get prayed for. Um, this week I saw the faithful work from dedicated people in all kinds of professions out in your, your nine to five jobs or, or you know four to midnight jobs in the case of any farmers. Um, I, I saw you work faithfully, especially this week, notice the, our teachers and school staff in this community making things work in like the most difficult situation imaginable with, with a smile on their face. How crazy is that? And all of this, I, I saw prayers and calls and hugs. I saw scripture shared. I saw lights turned off. I saw doors locked. I saw meals made. And so many things over the eight years that I've been here that I could not even write down or remember all the daily ways God has worked in and through you and the lives of people in this community since I've been here to witness it. But all of it, whatever it was, whether like we talk about when we're praying, whether it was a phone picked up or a light turned off or a job showed up to even when it's chaos, it was all God's work done through people. God's work done through people following his call because who is it that causes the growth? It's God. We are invited, uh, and Paul is inviting the Corinthians um, 2,000 years uh, before us, and, and, and he, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has invited Christians in every generation from, uh, from that very first group all the way through the people that, that built the first building of this church and turned it into a, uh, a horse, uh, a horse uh, place barn, <laughs> a, horse, a horse house. Um, Paul invited them, and he invites all of us uh, to the same thing by the Holy Spirit. God, and through his word, invites us to this. We're invited to receive the benefit of God's work in Christ on the cross and in the empty tomb, to receive freely a God who died for us before we could even imagine turning to him. To, to get that gift, to turn to Jesus, and no matter who the waiter was that brought him to you, it was God in them. Amen? Right? Amen? We're invited to turn away from making our own way and accept God's work 
on our behalf, freely offered and received only by saying yes uh, to Jesus. And then uh, we're promised that God will make us new by his Holy Spirit into forgiven people and that he'll uh, give us aprons and trays and make us two waiters of the gospel, bringing people the good news of the work that God has done for them, the people that he's called us to serve, that he'll make us farmers and waiters and builders on behalf of a master architect. I hope that you know who Jesus is and that you've said yes to him. And if you have, I want to remind you that God is already at work in you and he's already at work through you that he's at work in this community and this church, and that he's growing something more beautiful than we can imagine, and that he has a, a job opening for us. He has a call for all of us in the places that he has already put us, whether it's in schools or workplaces or fields. And so um, as our family gets ready to follow our call, I want you to know that he's at work in you and through you and whoever it is that comes here, uh, Dan in the interim and whoever you call as a pastor, one more worker on the team, uh, I want you to know that God is already at work inviting them to this place up on a hill because it is God who causes the growth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, when we gather to worship it is so clear that it is all your gift. You sent your son to live and die on our behalf and rise again from the dead out of your abundant generosity. When we could do nothing, you sent. With our backs turned to you, you pursued by your Holy Spirit. You brought people into our lives to let us know about that gift and when we said yes to you, you made us new. And we are so grateful. By your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you help us to see uh, the work that you have for us in this community, in this church, in our workplaces, and in the lives of others. Help us to see that we have seeds that need planting. We have water that needs pouring out on the ground, and we have uh, crops in need of harvesting. Help us to embrace that thing that you've given us, that call, that role that you've given us, and trust at the end of the day that it isn't because we are so good or, or so smart or so eloquent or have figured it out so well, but it's because you are the one that leads. You're the one who causes the growth. We thank you, Lord, that we can rest in that. In your name, amen. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to join us in worship Sundays at 10 a.m., both in person or online at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great day.